order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Siobhan McDonough. Over the last couple of days, my guilty pleasure has been tracking down video of British Parliament and watching it at my desk. Watching as Prime Minister Boris Johnson gets up in front of fellow lawmakers and fights for his job and for Brexit. What this country needs is sensible, moderate, progressive, conservative government and to take this country out of the EU on October the 31st. And that is what we are going to deliver. On days like today, when you know that the parliament is going to just be doing its thing, (laughs) how do you prepare? You just got your your stream going. You've got a lot of snacks like (laughs) (laughs) Josh Keating's been watching all this, too. He covers foreign affairs for Slate. I got the uh, Parliament channel loaded up on YouTube. So, uh, yeah, it's they're getting into it. Yesterday was the first day the new prime minister took questions from members of parliament. This is a weekly tradition. Any member can weigh in. But Boris Johnson's political rival, Jeremy Corbyn, he had the most at stake here. His goal was to make Johnson look like a fool. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. If the prime minister does to the country what he's done to his party in the past 24 hours... I think a lot of people have a great deal to fear from his incompetence, his vacillation and his refusal to publish known facts that are known to him about the effects of a no-deal Brexit. These guys plainly do not like each other, are not even pretending to be polite to each other. What is the slogan? What do we want? What do we want? Dither and delay. When do we want it? We don't know. That's his policy. That's his policy. Can he confirm again? Can he confirm that? Boris Johnson is 55. Jeremy Corbyn is 70. But they made the floor of Parliament sound like a schoolyard. And to understand all this back and forth, you need to know where these two guys are coming from. Boris Johnson leads the Conservative Party, the Tories. But it's not like he's a right-wing ideologue. He's more of an opportunist. Jeremy Corbyn, on the other hand, he's a true believer. He leads the Labour Party. I've heard him compared to Bernie Sanders. Yeah, that's he's well, Bernie Sanders is maybe a moderate compared to Jeremy Corbyn. In other words, personality wise, Corbyn and Johnson are polar opposites, and it shows. It was name-calling. Johnson called Corbyn a a big girl's blouse and a coronated (laughs) chicken at various points. I don't even know what that means, frankly. But there's only one chlorinated chicken that I can see in this house, and he's on that bench. Will he confirm again? Chlorinated chicken is, is a timely reference. There's they're worried that if they have a trade deal with the U.S. after Brexit, that uh, they're going to have to buy chlorine-washed chickens from the U.S. So um, <laughs> that the chlorinated chickens are very much in the zeitgeist these days. So that, that was kind of a good burn, actually. Corbyn was not as quick on the comebacks, but he was angry, calling the prime minister a liar, saying Boris Johnson was ignoring what it would mean to British citizens if the U.K. left the EU too quickly. Corbyn was saying, that's nonsense. You're not really negotiating and you're not telling us what the real consequences of leaving without a deal are going to be. You're downplaying these risks of food and medicine shortages. And so, yeah, it it got pretty ugly. But the thing about this fight, 
Boris Johnson, he knows how he wants it to end. Deal or no deal, he wants out of the EU. For Jeremy Corbyn, it's a lot more complicated. So everything's about uh, preventing no deal right now. That's that's all anyone in uh, on the opposition is saying. But the way to prevent a no deal is to actually come up with a deal. And that, it's not really clear what that would look like. Today, Josh Keating is going to explain what's happening in the UK. The country's leaders might be calling each other names, but they also might not be the country's leaders much longer. Members must calm themselves. There is a long way to go. The Prime Minister. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, before we get started, quick refresher on where we are with Brexit, because we've been talking about it for a while now. After three years of negotiation, Boris Johnson became prime minister this summer with a single goal. Get Brexit done by the EU's deadline of October 31st. Yeah, Halloween. He's already showing he is willing to push hard to get what he wants. Last week, he threatened to suspend Parliament so he could pull the UK out of the EU, whether MPs liked it or not. Predictably, Parliament was not too thrilled with this idea. But Johnson's logic went something like this. If I show the world just how committed I am to pulling the UK out of the EU with or without a deal, I'm going to be in a stronger negotiating position. So with one hand, Boris is trying to push the EU around. And with the other, he is trying to bend Parliament to his will. So he's he's kind of playing two simultaneous games of chicken, chlorinated chicken maybe, <laughs> one with Brussels and one with Parliament. So while he's got this showdown with the EU, Parliament's trying to stop the possibility of a no deal. And Johnson wants to make it as hard as possible. So what he announced last week was that he was going to suspend Parliament for a month or for a little more than a month starting next week, you know, supposedly in order to start a new session because he wants to present his agenda. But, you know, it, it's pretty clear that this is to give Parliament less time in order to mount a challenge to him. That probably seemed to have backfired because, you know, people saw it as anti-democratic, as, you know, he was the head of the Scottish National Party called him a tin pot dictator. It pissed off a lot of people in his own party. And what's basically happened now is he's lost control of parliament and the governing agenda. And all this happened live on camera while Johnson was making a speech. So on Tuesday, what happened is one member of his party left uh, the conservatives and joined the Liberal Democrats. And he literally like he got up in the middle of Boris Johnson speaking. Walked across the aisle, <laughs> right. sat down on the sat down at someone else's lunch table. You can hear members of parliament jeering as Boris Johnson seems to lose his train of thought while he watches his one-seat majority 
walk away. Yeah, I mean, I guess I want to I want to linger on that moment for a second, because I did hear one person where he sort of he described how Boris Johnson reacted when Philip Lee got up and walked across the aisle and sat with, you know, a different group of legislators. And he he said he perceived it as Boris kind of stumbling after that. And I'm wondering if you saw it that way or or you don't buy that. I think that's fair. I I think that um, Johnson's whole premise was that Theresa May was never really serious about going through with no deal and that he is and he's going to negotiate from a position of strength and he'll be able to keep his guys in line behind him, you know, basically, you know, through sheer force of will, push both parliament and Brussels to bend to his will. And that's not working. The EU is not budging and his own coalition is crumbling behind him. A a key moment in that was on Tuesday when Philip Lee got up, walked across the aisle, and uh, Boris Johnson no longer had a majority in parliament anymore. And it kind of seemed like the beginning of an unraveling that, uh, you know, this guy who entered from this great position of strength a few weeks ago is now in a a pretty weak position. And I guess we should... We should underline what a big deal it is for Boris Johnson to lose this support because the idea behind a parliamentary system is the majority in parliament has the leader. That's the prime minister. And so it should be that if you're prime minister, you have a majority of parliament. But that's not what's happening right now. Yeah. And and it's even less so now um, because, you know, what happened then is that uh, Labor brought forward this bill that basically seeks to take a no-deal Brexit off the table. Basically, what it says is that if Johnson has until October the 19th to negotiate a new withdrawal agreement that Parliament will agree to, and that if he hasn't done it, then he is forced to ask the EU for another extension until January 31st. Johnson basically says, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, If you do this, I'm going to call a new general election. And the idea behind that was it was it would scare some of these wavering people in his own party that they the idea is that they wouldn't want to face a new general election, that they would fall in line and support him. That didn't work. Twenty one members of the conservative party uh, crossed over and voted with the opposition, vo- well, voted to open debate on this bill. And they were summarily kicked out of the conservative party. Basically, the party told them, you can no longer stand as a conservative member in the next election. And this was a big deal that um, the majority, which had been down one, is now down quite a bit more than one. Boris Johnson is still using this snap election as a threat. It would mean every member of parliament would be fighting for their seat at the same time that they are debating Brexit. So I asked Josh, why would Boris Johnson want a massive election, even as his party support seems to be dwindling? Yeah, so the idea behind kicking them out was to basically have a clean slate for a new election. So, you know, when this general election happens, and it's going to happen at some point, we don't know exactly when, uh, Johnson is going to run as the hard Brexit party. It's going to be like, you need, you don't need to bother with Nigel Farage. If you want Brexit, vote for me. All the people behind me are committed to my vision of getting us out uh, no matter what. And, you know, in order to do that, you've got to kick all these 
Ramoners, as they call them, uh, <laughs> out of the party, and uh, just just have people who are actually behind his agenda. And the you know the hope is that the British public are just so fed up and just w- want to get this done that they'll give him the majority he needs uh, to make Brexit happen. Now, you may remember another prime minister, Theresa May, back in 2017, in order to improve her negotiating position, called a snap election because the polling was looking good in order to increase her majority in parliament. And guess what happened? She lost her majority in parliament and had to enter into coalition government and was in a weaker position. And that's why we are where we are right now. Uh, So, you know, right now the polls are looking pretty good for Boris Johnson and the Conservatives. I wouldn't count on that meaning anything. Nobody really knows what's going to happen if they go to a general election. And there's another question. Is Parliament going to let Boris Johnson call for an election at all? Well, the... All right. (laughs) (laughs) So this whole thing has been made even more vastly complicated by a law that was passed in 2011 called the Fixed Terms Parliament Act. Um, Before that, the prime minister could just call, had the power to just call a new election. Right now, two-thirds of parliament has to approve a new general election. And that has created a situation where Johnson wants an election as soon as possible, but basically the Labor Party can say no. And what they're sorting out right now is when everybody basically acknowledges a new election has to happen But what they haven't decided yet is when it will happen. Uh, Johnson wants to have it as soon as possible, you know, before October 31st, so that, you know, he can be in power with his supposedly big new mandate to either negotiate a new deal or make no deal happen. Labor wants to wait until they're absolutely sure that no deal is off the table and then have a general election. And the smaller parties in parliament, the Liberal Democrats and the Greens and the Scottish National Party, They want to have a new referendum first before a new general election happens so they can basically put the question of Brexit to the people without making people decide whether or not they want Jeremy Corbyn as prime minister. So, Do they have the power to make that happen? Who knows? (laughs) This is all going to be sorted out in the next few weeks. But basically, you know, the Labour Party can delay this, it looks like now. And, and, And it really also comes down to what these sort of rebel conservatives who are now independents want to say, but, you know, basically a new election is going to happen sometime this fall, but there are major stakes and major disagreements over when exactly it's going to happen. Well, and let's set up the importance of the timing, because it may not be immediately clear to people who aren't following this really closely, because if the election happened before this new law is set to go into effect that says you know, we need to go to the EU and request an extension, then it really puts a lot more power in Boris Johnson's hands and in the Brexiteers' hands, right? Yes. So under this new law that uh, is probably going to pass this week, Boris Johnson would have until October 19th to try to negotiate a new withdrawal agreement with the EU. And if he can't do it, he'll be forced to ask the EU for an extension. Now, if there's a new election on October 14th or 15th, and he gets a new majority in parliament, he can just come in and change that law and say, actually, nope, uh, we're doing no deal on October 31st after all. 
if the law passes and is implemented on October 19th, and then there's an election, uh, it'll ensure that no deal won't happen. And uh, from Johnson's perspective, that really weakens his negotiating position uh, with Brussels because they, you know, his whole premise is that he has to show he's serious about going through uh, with no deal in order to to get a deal. Hmm. (laughs) Simple. (laughs) It's funny because none of this is simple. But what Boris Johnson is trying to do here is remake the conservative party in his own image by making their one issue Brexit. The idea is to pick up new members, people who are fed up with the status quo. The other thing that's interesting is that both sides here, the pro-Brexit, the anti-Brexit sides, are both using the argument of democracy to kind of bolster what they're saying. You have people like Boris Johnson who are saying, listen, people voted for Brexit. They went to this referendum. We should give it to them. We owe it to them. On the other side, you have those who are opposed to a no-deal Brexit. And they say in a system like the one the UK has, a parliamentary system, democracy is it's mitigated through elected representatives. And it's interesting because you said both of these sides are subverting democracy in interesting ways. Can you explain that? Yeah, well, right. So there, there's two kind of visions. One is that the people should set the agenda. And the other is that the people elect the representatives who set, set the agenda. Basically, politicians anywhere in the world, not just in the UK, tend to say that whichever policy position they favor is the more democratic one. And that's definitely happening in the UK. I mean, so Johnson's democratic case is that in 2016, the British people voted for Brexit and that he's going to deliver on the people's will, the the people's agenda, he's called it. Um, He's referred several times to restoring faith in democracy. And he says that these um, politicians who keep delaying and watering it down and negotiating uh, really just don't want to follow the will of the voters. Now, on the other side, you have you know the Remain faction who say that you know this Brexit that we're ending up with is not what people voted for in 2016. That they were promised that they could both take back control, as the slogan went, uh, from the bureaucrats in Brussels, while at the same time enjoying the you know economic benefits of trade with Europe, and that's proved to be impossible. You know, often it seems to me that the case for a new referendum comes down to the idea that the voters did something dumb in 2016 and that it shouldn't count and they should do it over. And believe me, as as an American living in 2019, I sympathize with that sentiment. But, you know, whatever that is, it's, it's not a democratic argument. Well, so pick a side. I mean, is anyone proposing anything that's objectively democratic in principle? Well, Johnson certainly isn't, because what he's basically saying is that uh, because in 2017, there was an election and people voted on a new government uh, that was supposed to implement what Brexit meant. You know, the the referendum didn't say on what terms the UK should be uh, leaving the EU. That was left up to the people's elected representatives. And Johnson is basically by, you know, suspending parliament and, you know, saying he suggesting he might not follow this law. He's basically saying that in order to preserve what the uh, people decided in 2016, you have to ignore the representatives they elected in 2017. So that's not a very democratic argument either. You know, basically, I think that we're both sides are, you know, 
putting forward this idea that they're following what the uh, people have voted for. And it's not really clear what the people have voted for. It's been contradictory. And uh, uh, it's really should be up to their leaders to decide. And I think that the deadlock is such and everyone's so far beyond their mandate that it seems to me like the only real solution is to have a new general election and let the chips fall where they may. Let both sides come out with their positions, uh, whether it's hold a new referendum, whether it's leave without a deal, uh, whether it's you know, independence for Scotland, whatever have well, you know, whichever position you want to take. And, uh, you know, the outcome might not be what I like or what British people like. But but at this point, I, I think you, you can't make the argument that people don't understand the risks of what they're voting on. Josh Keening, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. As we like to say, Josh Keating covers the whole world for Slate. All right, that is the show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Danielle Hewitt, with a little bit of help from Melissa Kaplan and Rosemary Belson in D.C. I am Mary Harris. I'm going to talk to you tomorrow. See you then. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.